Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Loveline is meant for an adult audience. Loveline may contain sexually oriented content. Listener discretion is advised. Loveline with Dr. Chris starts. Three, two, one. Now. Happy Monday, everybody. Hope you got through the weekend full of beautiful self-care and activities that center around mental health. Because remember, it's Mental Health Awareness Month, and it's May, and so we're focusing on that. Looking at the differences between coping and self-care, remember, coping is whatever we're using to get through what's happening around us emotionally, physically, experientially, and it isn't negative or positive. It literally just is what it is for us. Self-care, though, is when we're choosing forms of coping that make us feel better or nourished. They are not things that make us feel worse off or depleted. So that's why things like drinking don't fit into that, eating certain things, and that's going to be dependent on person. Some people are soothed by eating certain things. Others feel less healthy or comfortable or grounded or taken care of. Same thing with certain activities. Some people, for them, running or jogging is self-care. For people like me, that kind of movement is actually quite hard on my body and painful, and so that is not self-care. Self-care does not feel uh, pain. Self-care does not stress us. Self-care does not feel intense. Self-care is soothing. It is gentle. It is loving. Otherwise, it's a coping mechanism, and we have many of them, and we get to choose which ones we engage, but self-care will always be ones that leave us feeling better off. Um, in the next segment, though, we're going to talk about mental health, what that means, what that looks like. But right now, let's get into some uh, some sound bites, some news, some headlines. This one is men are less excuse me men are less likely to wear masks because they think it's not cool. There's also a study that was showing they also think it's not masculine. You know, again, this is some toxic masculinity and some uh, misandry, which is, you know, violence against men. And this is also just toxic as hell. Uh, My gosh, whenever we make decisions based on our gender, we know we're stepping outside of authenticity and mental health. Know that. We need to wear masks, period. Why is that unmanly? Why is that not cool? It's not about being cool right now. We're not trying to be stereotypically manly. We're trying to protect ourselves and other people. And it's, it's really quite disheartening that all of us, whatever our gender is, are often reinforcing these ideas. So we want to get rid of talking about what's manly or what's feminine. We want to get t- want to get away from talking about what's cold. Let's just live in truth and reality. We all need to be wearing them. So anyone who's thinking that, uh, stop thinking that. Anyone who's thinking that, just push into your anxiety. Go into that. Use it as an act of transformation and mental health and truth to wear that mask. Um, I, see some, I see some people that are with others wearing them and they're not. And it's like, you don't need to be beautiful or cool. But those are pressures that we put on people in our culture. Always try to be cool. Always try to fit in, always try to look good. It's like, we don't need to spend our day and our time thinking about that. That's this reflected sense of self. Don't worry about how you appear to other people. 
um, be a good person. And that means wearing a mask because how you actually look is like an unkind person. Not wearing a mask makes you look like a jerk. It's saying, I don't care about the impact I have on other people. Um, Because right now it's about a pandemic. It's a a health precaution. So it actually makes you look uncool to not care about that, right? Like it's kind of funky. Another uh, headline, go outside experts say, but keep your distance. I love that. We are able to leave our homes. We need sunlight and movement. You're allowed to go outside and see others. Just wear your mask, keep six or more feet apart. Don't go to crowded places and don't go to anything that's enclosed, but you're all go on the streets, walk around, go to the park. If it's open, we're allowed to go to some of the beaches here, but again, we're not there to socialize, congregate, touch, and be close. So you're going to be going on your own or maybe with one other person that's easier to manage, but it's okay to go outside. And I want people to know that I come from a trauma informed perspective, which means we recognize that not everyone can have the same expectations upon them. I also come from a harm reduction paradigm. Not everyone's going to be able or willing to stay inside. So for those that are going to go outside, the question is how can you do it as safely as possible? And those are the key markers, um, not around crowds, not in an enclosed space. Don't touch others, wear your mask and wash your hands. Bam, period. That is where we're at. Whether we like it or not, that's what we got to be doing right now. It's not forever. Hang in there. You know, this isn't supposed to feel comfortable. This isn't a normal time or a normal thing. This, the expectations definitely go against what mental health requires, even socialization. But, um, this is what we're needing to do. And so this is what has to be done. Luckily it's winding down. So we're almost at the finish line, but in order to get there fully and to come out of this as best as we can, we have to keep following the rules and I'm okay with that. So we, we want to kind of um, lean in and take that precaution. Bad bunny, this musician, not familiar with his work. He is the first ever Latino urban artist to be featured on Rolling Stone. What? <laughs> what has taken so long? What's amazing is he's wearing a COVID mask. So it ties into all this. You know, he as a male is wearing the mask on the cover of a magazine, which is saying this is where we are right now. There's nothing wrong with wearing one. I'm a guy wearing one. Uh, I'm also cool when I'm wearing one. Like, thank you. I love that. But also, how's it taken so long for a Latino urban artist to make the cover of Rolling Stone? Jesus. Rolling Stone, welcome to the party. Where y'all been? Like, congrats, but like, not really. Where y'all, you know, it's 2020. Like, what? What took you so freaking long? But I love barriers being busted through. So that that's awesome. Um, I, I want to continue to see more of that. But again, we all get to collectively help being a part of that by the people we listen to, what we promote, what we use our spending power behind, because everything is political. Every time you purchase something, it's a political act. You're supporting something. And I like asking always, what is it we're supporting? And what are we leaving out? Um, I think those are the really important social justice questions. And social justice and politics are tied to mental health. I've had people question that. Dr. Chris, why are you so political? How, how are we not? How can we not talk about politics, which means who's included, who's not excluded, who has violence put against them? Violence um, and identity politics, which are all pulled together, are part of mental health. You cannot separate them out. I can't watch the administration uh, rolling back gay rights and implementing anti-trans support um, and also holding back reproductive rights and not talk about that as though that doesn't impact people's mental health or emotional health or safety. Like you can't separate it out. So that's that. All right. Coming up next, we're going to talk about mental health, how we know if we have it, what it would look like and what the goals should be. Listen to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. Loveline with Dr. Chris on channel Q. All right. We're back and uh, it's mental health awareness month. It's May. 
So I've been trying to put out on my social media the question, how is your mental health? Yep, driving that home yet again. We want to always be asking ourselves that consistently. Again, asking those around us so that we all get familiar asking, we get familiar hearing, we get familiar having people come to us to discuss. It's something we got to start to normalize. I try as often as I can to talk about my mental health on my social media. But, you know, again, remember, we live in a culture that's rooted in what we call respectability politics. And that means that we have problematically uh, decided that there's a certain way certain people have to show up for us to see them as healthy or competent or professional and it's dehumanizing and it's limiting and it's often also very heterocentric homophobic racist trans antagonistic because it's usually rooted in white cis hetero values and even for people that are white cis hetero it holds them back because it reduces their total self and again we honor physical ailments and injuries but we don't do the same thing for the mental. We tell people to pull together, suck it up, get back to work. But you would never say that to someone who's broken a leg or has a vision problem. So mental health has to get more normalized and more prioritized. But again, the respectability politics part is that there are certain professions where people feel like they can't discuss mental health issues. What does it mean for a politician or your doctor or your therapist or your, you know, your parent to say, I'm depressed or I've been depressed all week or I'm struggling with my relationship to drugs or alcohol? We automatically reduce them as not competent. They're not a good parent. They're not a good doctor. They're not a good therapist. But those things are still occurring for them. And in their ability to sit with it, acknowledge it, talk about it it, share it, is how they actually improve that and get better with it and about it. Silence just maintains shame and increases mental health issues and struggles. So don't think that that resolves anything. And again, it's gendered. People that are male identified and have male expression in our culture, we expect them to be tough. We don't let them round out all their emotional experiences. A really powerful study was done on a classroom where they asked different uh, grade school children what emotions they thought were acceptable for men. And they all pretty much said fear. I'm sorry, not fear. It was uh, aggression and anger. They weren't allowed to feel fear or anxiety or depression or sadness or even joy. Those were seen as female traits. Now, there are no such thing as male or female traits because all genders experience all human emotions. We've just taken a few and said, this is going to be what we're comfortable seeing from men. This is going to be what we're comfortable seeing from females. And we're going to call it being a male or we're going to call it masculine energy. We all embody all of these pieces. That's a false binary. We also know there's more than maleness and femaleness. Uh, there's so many different ways to express gender. So it's about getting away from all that. Mental health is not living a life identified as something. Mental health is living your truth and authentically. And that will often mean it is outside of gender or your profession or whatever label or expectation that's placed upon you. So that's what I really want us to be focusing on. Just being real, being honest, being where we are, being who we are and asking ourselves in what ways are we limiting ourselves or holding ourselves back because we want to be seen as competent or respectable or because of our gender expression. Um, and how is that not serving us? So that's the global question. So when we talk about like mental health markers, first one's authenticity. You are experiencing full mental health when you can be authentic with who you are. And that's work we have to do with ourselves, but that's also work we have to do culturally. We have to create a safe space for people to be able to be authentic. People don't live in a vacuum. They are, and their mental health is determined by those around them and what those around them are supporting, shaming, and or allowing or limiting. Second piece is the relationships we're in. And that ties into the first one. Are we consistently in high quality relationships? We are only 
only as healthy as those that we're in relationship to. And that goes back to the first point, because those people are determining what is allowed. Those people are helping us determine what we're going to feel confident in or feel shame in. They're going to help liberate us or they're going to help keep us stuck. So really pay attention to the relationships you're in. Third piece is your social media. What am I surrounding and bathing my psyche in consistently? Things that are limiting my messaging and telling me that as a man or as a woman or as a cis person or trans person, I have to look or present a certain way because that's not mental health. Mental health is unfollowing all of that mess that tells you you have to look a certain way with your body to be hot or desirable or your gender expression or your job and following things like my social media, which is always trying to normalize and liberate and say, be yourself. And again, that will often be living outside of these expectations and norms and values. So those are the pieces of mental health, authenticity, our relationships, our, our relationship also, and our involvement in social media. And I want us all to take responsibility, not just for how we are relating to ourselves, the messaging we're saying to ourselves about who we can be and what we can be, but also what we're putting out there in the world and also the way we're responding to those around us struggling to live honestly and to have mental health and to do this work. So it's like a three-pronged approach. We call it micro, meso, and macro, your relationship with yourself, your relationship with those around you closely and then the relationship to the larger world. What are you putting out there on a larger scale? And so really assess all of that. I think that this is important and it's it's May. It's Mental Health Awareness Month. So now more than ever, I want us to really be focusing on that. Um, so I'm going to be constantly kind of driving this home. But again, really zero in on those three pieces and do that work. Um, it's going to kind of liberate all of us. It's, it's what I want to see come out of this pandemic, that transformative piece. So um, good luck with that. It, it's a life's journey. It's, it's not something that's ever completely complete or finished. It's something that we're all going to be constantly circling through. It's not a linear process. It's circular, always doing that work, always going back, always trying to push forward. So, um, don't shame yourself based on where you're at, right? Cause shame is not a part of mental health. Uh, lovingly acknowledge where you are and lovingly acknowledge what the work for you looks like. All right. You're listening to love line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. Love line. This is Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q. And now we're going to go to Dr. Jen Wider, our medical expert. Dr. Jen, how are you? Good, Dr. Chris. How are you? I'm good. It's been too long. I feel like I haven't seen you in a while. I know. I know. I'm still in the same spot. Here I am. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God bless it. Me too. So I have a couple honest questions and, and things I wanted to discuss because I have some concerns. So we're watching the news and I'm seeing those photos. God bless uh, United Flight uh, people packed in there. And what was concerning is when we look at what they say are the things we need to avoid enclosed spaces for prolonged periods of time. Um, how, how safe or unsafe is this? Because I knew the airline had said that they were going to leave middle seats empty. We see them packed in unpack this for us. Okay. So I also saw those pictures, Chris, and really sort of shuddered when I saw them because, you know, here's an industry that's basically bleeding at the seams. I mean, they've had, you know, a 90% decrease in traffic. This is an industry that was hard hit. And one of the things that's most concerning about me are that uh, from pictures that are coming out of United Airlines is there's sort of this promise from the airlines that the middle seat was going to be vacant, that there would be social distancing practice on board airlines. There were a whole bunch of first responders on that United flight coming from coming home from coming back to the West Coast. They had volunteered doctors, nurses, technicians had volunteered to help in New York City. They were flown over in a very good PR stunt by United. And on their way back, they were stuffed like sardines into a packed airplane with people that presumably are uh, exposed to COVID-19. So, 
Yeah, I think we really need to think long and hard about the guidelines when we go back to flying. I think that was one of the worst things that could have happened to United Airlines. And of course, we realize that a lot of these travel industries, they're, they're profit driven, of course, and we can't blame them. That's They're a profit driven uh, industry. But unfortunately, it's not going to help business much with pictures like that, that are really fear mongering for the general public that is timid at best to get back on a flight. In fact, Chris, I looked up a statistic recently. Um, they polled Americans about when they felt more comfortable going to fly uh, it, during this pandemic. And it was 40 to 60% of Americans, it was a UCLA study that said that they're very timid about going back on an airplane, even when public health officials lift these restrictions, people are gonna drag their feet to get back in the air. And I think pictures like what we saw yesterday from United is not helpful. Yeah, it makes me feel unsafe. I mean, I always already questioned a lot of the uh, forced closeness that comes with travel. And yes. um, seeing those photos, it doesn't make me necessarily feel as though uh, travel is going to feel safe anytime soon. So I'm, I'm watching to see what happens next, because I don't yeah. know when I would feel comfortable getting back on that bad boy. No, and I, I, I hear you. You know, I'm, I'm a germaphobe to begin with. So before the pandemic, I'm always seated behind somebody that has a cough. And I'm always sick after every flight that I take because, you know, there's recycled air. And although I've done a lot of interviews with people, you know, in the flight industry that will tell you the filtration system on airlines is pretty good. The chances of getting sick are low. But, you know, the air is, is still your it, it, it's, it's dry. You feel sick. Uh, people are closed in there and I, I'm with you. I'm, I would be, this is not one of those activities that I'm going to jump back on board. I'm going to take a wait and see approach as well. But I do think one of the scarier things is that there need to be some sort of federal guidelines coming down, Chris. You know, these haphazard uh, guidelines that different airlines are going to institute is what scares me the most. It's very anxiety provoking. I really do believe that in order to get these industries up and running again, whether they're entertainment, whether it's our travel industry, on planes, trains, automobiles, all of these things, there need to be some universal guidelines so that we do have a sense of safety and security. And, and that's what I see lacking. You know, United made this promise and there were a lot of people on that flight and you can see them quoted in the news that they were just absolutely shocked that the middle seat was taken, every single seat on that flight was taken and and you know it was startling to them and and when you get on an airline and you you know you, you click your seatbelt you're stuck uh you're you know you're the laws and regulations of your particular state go out the out the window chris because you're stuck on an airline i um, mean you're on this sort of international travel law uh unfortunately uh you know people wanted to get up and once they close that door you're in trouble so I think the airlines need to be very thoughtful about putting in best practices for both the flight attendants, really, Chris, and also the passengers. I mean, the flight attendants are at risk as well. Yeah, that's what I worry about. If you look about. at some of the studies in South Korea, a lot of those flight attendants are, they're wearing gloves. They have N95 masks. These are the practices that we really need to pay attention to because the airline needs to worry less about profit right now and a little bit more about their employee safety and security and their passenger safety and security because ultimately that's what's going to drive the profit in the end. Well, this conversation has my anxiety spiked. <laughs> so thank you. Uh, and let, let's keep spiking anxiety with my next question. Uh, so over the weekend, I saw a lot of photos, specifically this one restaurant in Colorado who was overflowing with diners for Mother's Day, went against the governor's orders, 
So I wanted to ask you, as a doctor, a medical professional, but also a parent, what should yes. we be looking for to feel safe going back out into the world? Because from a mental health perspective, I'm definitely yes. empathizing with the need for us to get back out and to socialize, to get routine back in our lives. I'm working with people where the depression is spiking, the anxiety yes. is spiking. But I also want to be thoughtful and cautious about the safety of that. So as both an 100%. MD and a parent, what do you need to see happen for you to feel safe going back out or even letting your children go back out as a parent? Right. I, I, this is like the million dollar question. I think your points are incredibly important and they're poignant. I think, you know, this is again echoes what I'm saying about federal guidelines. We should see state by state by state having the same precautions in restaurants, in, you know, gyms and salons in barbershops. These are the kinds of things that we need some real leadership from above, whether it's the CDC, whether it's infectious disease departments at major national institutions. This is the kind of thing that we really need as consumers. On my side of the country, Chris, on the East Coast, we have New York, New Jersey and Connecticut talking together, the governors talking together about a four point plan to put business back to re, you know, issue businesses and how to move forward very slowly and methodically. As far as restaurants go, I really think it's very, very important not to sit shoulder to shoulder in a restaurant. I think as the weather gets warm, as we're moving into the summer months in this country, it's really important to look at outdoor eating and to space those people appropriately. The tables need to be spaced. For my comfort level as a mom, if my kids were to go out to eat with friends, I would want those tables spaced. I would caution them to only eat outside at this point. Um, you know, you want to make sure the workers, the people preparing your food have the same guidelines that, again, should be issued from above. I think universal guidelines that if somebody is showing symptoms, if they feel sick, if they're coughing, they need to wear a mask, they need to wear gloves. You know, someone could sneeze or cough directly into the cup. There need to be Guidelines, at least coming from Starbucks, you know, headquarters saying, listen, you're preparing food. You should wear a mask and gloves. I think the same thing needs to be true in our restaurants. And I really believe the social distancing should apply to the tables, Chris, and also to outdoor dining. Dr. Jen Wider, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Dr. Chris. Have a great night. You too. Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q. Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q. All right, we're back. And it's that time. It's time to slide on into the DMs. Sliding into the DMs. Slide into the DMs is brought to you by our friends at Trojan Condoms. It's a big old sexy world, so explore it with confidence. All right, here we go. Hello, Loveline and Dr. D. My partner and I have been together now on and off for two years, and our sex life is not what it used to be. In the beginning, we were both very sexual towards each other. We were both versatile and we're very into trying new things in the bedroom, just us. I will say this. Uh, I will say this. In the beginning, I did tell him I have a very high sex drive and am very open sexually and didn't want an open relationship and he didn't either. It's now a year later and we maybe have sex once a month. And when we do, I can't even get off unless I'm the top. How he initiates sex is strange because he will get naked and stick his butt up in the air. And I'm like, 
okay, no foreplay. I like when it's like a narrative with the questions. I'm sorry. And I'm like, okay, no foreplay. You're expecting, I'm sorry, watching producer Justin, who's ready to like censor me. <laughs> He's giving me the eyeball. Okay. <clears throat> sorry. Back to the story. He initiates, the way he initiates sex is strange. He'll get naked, stick his butt up in the air. And I'm like, okay, no foreplay. You're expecting me to be ready to go. Or when he's a top, he'll pinch. This is a new one. He'll pinch my arm. And that's the cue to have sex. And I'm just not into it. Makes makes sense. Today, I finally was like, listen, we need to figure this out because I can't keep going on like this. And his response was, he also could feel a disconnect and he didn't know what to say or how to fix it. Mind you, all of it is over text. Never in person are we able to talk about anything. He said it's just not how he communicates, which to me, he doesn't at all. I'm not in a relationship with a phone. I know the love is there because we both love each other. My question is, what can I do? Um, okay, this is really important. So there's a lot there's a lot in here to kind of break down. Um, how sex is in the beginning of a relationship is not a sign of what it will be down the road. Uh, so the baseline, like if I'm trying to assess a couple's baseline of sexuality, I don't ask them how it was in the very, very beginning because newness and novelty is very exciting and people will often be... Uh, more, more open or more interested. They'll have the time, love the energy. And so sexuality is easy to be prioritized in the beginning. Uh, so I kind of wait to watch. So basically you've, you've gotten through that and then you've gotten to sex about once a month, which, you know, again, if you're not complaining, you're not complaining, but you kind of are saying that you are complaining. Um, and then you're saying that he has an odd way of initiating. Look, foreplay is really, really important especially to you, you're saying. And so I'm glad you're talking about that, letting someone know that arousal isn't immediate for you and that it's something that's built and that you actually maybe enjoy the behaviors sexually that are labeled under foreplay. So that could be part of the conversation too, that sometimes that is sex because it is honestly sex, but for some people they think it's just kind of like a path towards something, but you're letting them know that like this in fact is sexuality for me. Um, I'm also wanting to zero in on the whole fact that everything's always taking place over text. So when someone says that's just how I communicate, what they're really saying is true intimacy and vulnerability make me anxious. And that's what happens when we have a real time conversation face to face with someone. And so I'm glad you're pushing for that. Uh, you don't want to shame them for wanting to communicate about, you know, really intimate topics over texting. But I, I do appreciate that you're drawing the line and saying that you don't want to operate that way. And so you have my support in saying that all serious conversations, you want to have them face to face to see each other, to hear each other, and also to work on doing some reconnecting if the conversation leads to you feeling disconnecting and you already feel disconnected. So <clears throat> push for foreplay push for more conversation in real time and talk about what are the things that would be foreplay for you and kind of turn you on because yeah, getting your arm pinched or just having someone waiting in the bedroom in a certain position, I can understand why that's a turn off, not a turn on why that might stress you out. So, you know, again, it's really just about you expressing your needs and hoping that your partner cares enough about you in the relationship to honor that. But we don't always get what we want. And then you have to have a different kind of conversation. Um, so work on that. Just work on really being forthcoming with what you're looking for. Try that out. And again, you know, if anyone who's relating to the partner on the other end, when a partner comes to you and, and talks about what it's like to be in a relationship with you, what they're struggling with, the first answer should be thank you. Thank you for caring enough about me and our relationship that you're being honest and open with me so we can fix things, right? Versus you choosing other solutions like leaving me, ghosting me, cheating on me, because that's sometimes what happens. And so lead with the whole thank you that this person cares and they're approaching you. Okay. We got another DM. Dear Dr. Chris, I have reoccurring fantasies about having sex with men. 
However, in my fantasies, I am a man as well. And then they say in parentheses or in quotes, I'm sorry, in yeah, parentheses, I'm biologically a woman. And I masturbate, I find, and when I masturbate, I find myself making the motion with my other hand as though I have a penis. These are most, these are my most fulfilling fantasies, and I've noticed my strong attraction to gay, bisexual, and sexually fluid men. This may mean nothing, but I'm not sure how to break this down and feel seriously confused. I find myself bummed out that I'm that I am in this female body, but there are other times I embrace the body. Yeah, you know, again, fantasy is the beautiful place for us to explore things that we might not want in real time, might not be able to pull off in real time, things that are safer for us to get confidence around. But something in fantasy doesn't mean we want it in reality. And that's the part that people get hung up on. Just because we fantasize about something doesn't mean we really are going to do it or want to do it. So there's nothing wrong with that. Roll with it. Go with it. Enjoy it. Have fun. You said it's the most arousing thing. Go with it. Enjoy. So it's about Trojan condoms. It's a big, sexy world. Explore with confidence. That listening to Loveline. See you back in a minute. Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q. All right, now we're going to go to Dr. Will Bolsowitz, uh, gut health author and uh, fiber fueled. It's out. Congratulations. It's out finally, man. Almost two years of work, and uh, it's here. Feels good. So yeah, I'm excited about it. I'm, oh, there it is. I, I'm proud of you. I'm, I'm glad you're promoting the hell out of it. We got to stand behind the work we're doing and it's it's very needed. Well, I appreciate you saying that. You know, I mean, we're talking about COVID-19 and mid-March came around and I had done a ton of work to basically prepare for this book launch. And then it's just like, boom, you know, the rug just got pulled out from under my feet. And, you know, you mope around for a week or two and then you get to a point where you're just like, dude, I'm not, I'm not taking this, you know? Something needs to be done. And so I just decided to step up and do an online campaign. And here we are. Yeah. Having fun. Make it work for you. You know what I mean? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You just have to adapt. You just have to adapt and you have to decide, okay, well, where are the people and, and where can we have these conversations? And you just move to a different place. Beautifully said. So let's start off by talking about mental health. Um, How's yours right now? What kind of self-care are you operating from? Um, How are you taking care of yourself? Well, I think that we need to be very, you know, more conscious now than ever before when it comes to self-care and to mental health. Um, so, you know, we're all feeling stress in our own way. Um, maybe it is the um, potential threat from a health perspective, both to us and the people that we care about, the people that we love. But also, obviously, there's been a huge financial impact, and many of us are having to cope with that. And it's tough. We're getting it on both sides, right? We're stuck between a rock and a hard place. And, you know, the funny thing is, though, my book is all about gut health, and most people think that gut health is exclusively about nutrition, which is important, but actually, self-care is critically important. Mental health is critically important. In fact, as a gastroenterologist, the most challenging patients that I take care of are the people who have been the victims of, of abuse and been through, you know, that sort of severe level of stress and duress, and for them... The solution is not just to fix their gut. The solution is actually to directly take on whatever that emotional component is. And so, you know, I feel like now here we are, each one of us, and many of us are probably manifesting symptoms in our gut because of the stress that we're dealing with. And it's a great opportunity to to understand that this isn't just um, 
an idea that the, this is actually the way the body functions. Yeah. And thank you for pointing that out. Because I, I think problematically, historically, we've separated everything out and kind of compartmentalized it. And we're yes. slowly starting to look at the mind-body connection. And, you know, I have a, um, a background. My first degree is in nutrition and food science. And so I've always tried to kind of hold space for those connections. But it's never really been pulled together. And and your work does that. And, and I know from my own learning that the gut is such an important centralized part of that. So kind of connect those dots for us right now, specifically in the pandemic pandemic as well. What do you think are the important intersections of diet, gut, and mental health that people should be thinking about? Oh, gosh. So, well, let's start here and just say that your brain's best friend is your gut. They're in constant communication with each other. They're talking on the phone right now. Okay. And inside your gut, you have 500 million nerves. Think about that. 500 million nerves right now, feeling and sensing, collecting information, sending information back upstairs to the brain. And in addition to that, we have 30 neurotransmitters that are found in the gut, 90% of serotonin. This is the happy hormone. Like this is when we treat with Zoloft or with Paxil or Prozac, that's what we're treating. We're treating serotonin and 90% of it is in our gut. 50% of dopamine is in the gut. We have the neurotransmitters all there. So there's this, this connection that exists between our gut and our brain, our mood, our focus, our energy our memory, and you can't separate the two. And so if you want optimal brain health, we need optimal gut health. And this is where the idea of food comes into play because, you know, as I mentioned before, self-care is important. Lifestyle matters. Getting a good night's rest is really important right now. It's actually really good for the gut, but also the food that we eat is very important. And what we don't want right now is to sabotage ourselves with unhealthy food that's destroying our gut. You know, when you put the junk food into the mouth and send it down, that's not doing you any favors. It's actually causing damage to your microbiome. Well, when we go excessive, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, you know, when I, when I try to do an intake or an assessment on someone and they come and talk about mental health struggles, it's important for me to say to them sometimes, you know, until you're actively focusing on moving and some exercise and looking at your diet, it's really hard to get a baseline as to what your mood would be. And so let's address that first. And it's often hard to find, you know, in psychiatry and psychology, anyone who's going to examine that angle. So I love that you're kind of trying to swoop in and, and hold us accountable to that piece, because I think that that's really powerful. Yeah, I mean, I, I just think that what we need is we need we need to be in some ways putting all the chips on the side of advantage, you know, to the best of our ability. We we want to control what we can and get that working in our favor. And when we do those things, when it's you know, when we have when we're working on our diet, when we're working on our lifestyle in terms of getting sleep, and in terms of self care, in terms of getting your exercise, um, you know, in, in terms of some intermittent fasting. You're able to get your gut microbes working for you. And again, that's optimizing 90% of serotonin, 50% of dopamine, 30 neurotransmitters. And that affects our mood. And that helps us to be able to cope better with the stress that we're all dealing with right now with COVID-19. And let's talk about coping mechanisms and its impact on gut and mental health. Um, I, you know, of course, like, like myself, you're seeing a lot of people on social media posting pictures of a lot of alcohol consumption and drinking. So of course I start to get concerned because it's not necessarily, well, it's not at all a form of self-care. It is a coping mechanism, not one of the better ones. So what would you say to people that are drinking a lot of alcohol from the perspective of its impact on mental health, from the perspective of gut health? 
Well, we, I think that the connection between alcohol consumption and mental health is very clear. You know, there's, there's no, there's no evidence to suggest that alcohol is improving your mood. You may feel short term, uh, a short term lift or, you know, energized, but it's not good in the long term. And one of the ways that this happens is what it's doing to the gut microbiome. You know, when we look at people who have alcoholic cirrhosis or we look at people who have alcoholic hepatitis, the reason why they develop these conditions, you know, we, we tend to think, oh, the alcohol is directly affecting the liver. But actually, there's, there is a connection through the gut microbiome first before it starts to affect the liver. And so alcohol, if it's destroying your gut, it's also affecting your brain. You know, you just can't separate those two things. And that's where it becomes very important that we, we just can't be... You know, at a time like this, we don't want to be um, sabotaging ourselves by consuming an excessive amount of alcohol. Instead, what we need to do is get do, do the opposite, which is optimize our body, optimize our microbiome, make it stronger, and that makes us more resilient and in a better mood. Beautifully said. Okay, we're going to take a little break. Listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and Radio.com. Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q. All right, we're back and we got Dr. Will Bulsowitz. Quickly, let's just talk about plant-based diet. I've talked about this endlessly. I've been on a plant-based diet and vegan for about 17 years total. Um, talk to us about the importance of that at a time like this, um, tying that all together for us. Sure. So, well, we, we have evidence that diet can certainly make an effect on mood. There's no question about that. And the way that it works specifically with mood and the gut is that your gut microbes thrive on fiber. This is their preferred food, okay? And fiber is found in plants. All plants contain fiber. Every plant contains fiber, and it's the exclusive source. If you want fiber, you have to consume plants. Every single unique type of plant feeds unique types of microbes. And that's a powerful, powerful thing because when you eat a wide variety of plants, you can support a very broad, diverse microbiome, and that is what scientists define as a healthy microbiome. When you have a healthy microbiome, it is producing things like short-chain fatty acids like butyrate, acetate, propionate. These short-chain fatty acids, they actually enter into the bloodstream, spread throughout the entire body. They have effects throughout the entire body. But one of the things that they do is they actually go and cross the blood-brain barrier and have mood-enhancing effects in the brain. And so these things, short-chain fatty acids, that many scientists would point to as being great for your gut, they're just as good for brain health as they are for gut health. And in your book, Fiber Fueled, for those that want to kind of go deeper and learn more about what you just said, that book is going to cover that. And also, your work is one of the things that reminded me that I have to focus on a little more diversity because it's easy for us to fall into patterns and habits and eat the same things over and over and not necessarily kind of you know expand outside of that. So thank you for that piece. Yeah, I mean, I feel like Dr. Chris, the, you know, no matter what dietary pattern you come from, whether you are vegan, plant-based, paleo-keto, agnostic, whatever, there is value in, in knowledge that allows you to enhance your health. And I, I feel like the concepts that are in this book, no matter where you're coming from, you can apply these techniques and this knowledge to enhance your gut health and make it stronger. And right now, gut health is more important than it's ever been. Like I'm, I'm doubling and tripling down on the ideas of my own book because I want to protect myself because I think it's very important during the era of COVID-19. 
Okay. And also I want to just talk from a mental health perspective about just the way that you um, kind of run your social media. I think mental health is very much rooted in authenticity and honesty. And so I wanted to just point that out that you're one of those people that's pretty humanized on your social media. And I think that that's great because a lot of us think that in order to be taken as a doctor or a professional or a mother or whatever the role is that we have to like conform. And, and I appreciate that you will use the wording you want to use. You'll use some expletives. You'll talk about pooping, like whatever it is, like you're so honest and authentic so i just wanted to point out that that's really powerful and meaningful as well oh man that's that's amazing i appreciate you saying that i mean i I think that the the reality to me is that um authenticity is very important in everything that we do whether it's social media whether it's at home whether it's on the job you know i feel like that's one of the things that i've discovered as i've aged is you get past you get to a certain point where you stop worrying about what the other people are saying and you start just saying look i'm going to be myself and, you know, the beautiful thing is every single person, every person who's listening to your radio program right now, there is something unique and special about every single one of us. We all are bringing a light, a positive light into this world. And we just need to accept that that's who we are and just put it out there and enjoy it. Yeah, hundred percent. And that's kind of like what I want the purpose of the show to be is for people to just start to feel secure and confident in who they are and whatever that looks like for them. Um, all right. We had some questions that came in that I'd love for you to answer with us. Okay, cool. Uh, This first one asks, is it true that inflammation in the digestive system can affect mental health and cause things like anxiety and depression? And if so, how does that happen? Yeah, well, that is completely true. So let's take a let's take a moment and zoom in on the gut. And what you would see if you're looking on a microscopic level is that in inside the large intestine, the colon, there is this single layer of cells that we call the epithelial layer. And when you damage this layer of cells, when you damage the bacteria, which are the microbiome, what you cause is you cause increased intestinal permeability. Some people call this leaky gut. Mm. What ends up happening is that toxins from the colon start leaking into the bloodstream. They're not supposed to be there, but because our colon is no longer doing its job the way that it's supposed to, these toxins get into the blood. They spread throughout the entire body. We call these bacterial endotoxin. If I were to translate what bacterial endotoxin is in one word, it's inflammation. Okay. And this bacterial endotoxin is associated with mood disorders, depression, anxiety. It can even affect the brain, give you brain fog, things of that variety. Okay. Wow. Bam. I'm telling you, all these people are going to get the book because there's so much to dump into and everything you just said as well. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for specifying that. They're like inflammation. Uh, We have another question. This one asked, does stress and difficult environments uh, like right now being in lockdown affect IBD negatively? I feel mine's acting up and I'm curious because I'm if it's because I'm stressed. There is no question. There is no question that, you know, there are different ways that we can manifest our stress. Some people will manifest them with a migraine headache, but the number one place is in our gut. And we know that CRF released from the brain can actually change the balance of microbes in your gut. Inflammatory bowel disease is a disease that is based on the balance of microbes within your gut. So if stress can alter the balance of the microbes, then 100% there's no question that this can predispose to a flare of, of inflammatory bowel, Crohn's disease, or ulcerative colitis. And just bringing it back to like mental health, one of the things I'm trying to train all my patients in and everyone I I talk to is just going back to your body because it's such an honest communicator of where you are, what you need to attend to and what's going on, even before we go into our mind and kind of label it um, with some kind of mental health label or term. So I'm always saying that go back to your body, go back to your body. Your body's always communicating something to you. Trust that, honor that. 
Yeah, no, I think that's completely true. And I think that, that, that that's where having an intuitive approach and being, you know, uh, paying attention to the feedback that your body is giving you. It's amazing how often your body is right. And it's just trying to send a message to you. 100%. Dr. Wilbosowitz, uh, author of Fiber Fueled. Congratulations again. And thank you for being a part of the show. Thank you, my friend. It's great to come on and I appreciate it. Of course. Have a beautiful night. You too. As always, the body will not lie to you. It's where we store a lot of our trauma, a lot of our emotions. It's also just a beautiful compass to sometimes let us know what the issue is, what we need to work on, where we need to go, what we need to do. So when you're struggling, you're feeling something, pause, stop, and check in with your body. I use it all the time to help me make decisions about something I want to take on or maybe pass on. Question of the night up on our Loveline page, weigh in on it. When we come back, we're going to be breaking on down. It's about bad breakup stories. I know you got them, so give them to me. And then we'll be sliding into our final DM. Listen to Loveline Dr. Chris. Take a little break and we'll see you right back. Loveline. This is Loveline with Dr. Chris. On Channel Q. It is time to slide on into them DMs. Sliding into the DMs. Slide into my DMs is brought to you by our friends at Trojan Condoms. It's a big, sexy world. Explore with confidence. All right, we got a good one tonight. Dear Dr. Chris, I really want your opinion on the Gillette ad that uses an obese model. That's their word, not mine. I love your stance on body positivity and love. The ad sparked a lot of controversy, and I want to know if my feelings on the matter are wrong. I'm a total body positivity supporter. I do not agree with starving yourself or trying to achieve unattainable beauty standards in order to be viewed as attractive or worthy. I love women who echo these sentiments, <clears throat> Excuse me, such as Amy Schumer and Ashley Graham, who fully flaunt their curves and stretch marks and have no shame in their eating game. I think it's awesome. However, here we go. When I saw this particular Gillette ad, I found myself very put off. I feel it's one thing to embrace curves and be confident and say F you to body shamers, but depicting an extremely obese woman in an ad and saying it's okay is just as detrimental as glorifying anorexia or drug use, in my opinion. Shouldn't there be a happy medium? I in no way, shape, or form think an obese person can't be confident and happy. However, diabetes and heart disease is no joke. And while I wouldn't want my daughter shaming anyone, I also would never want her to aspire or look up to either of these extremes because it's not healthy no matter how positive you want to be. Your thoughts? Why, yes. Yes, I have many thoughts. First off, I don't engage in body shaming or anything having to do with diet or fitness culture because to me it's completely unethical and it's psychologically abusive because it's essentially enforcing the idea that one has to look a certain way to be healthy and that's not true. Shaming someone never, ever, ever leads to health, period. Also, you know, the goal of my work in mental health is authenticity, liberation, and ending shame and oppression. So having a fat body is what some people's natural set point body weight's meant to be. Um, we don't have control over that. That's a genetic thing. And we can fight it with manipulating our bodies via workouts and diets. But again, remember, 95% of diets fail and people put on the weight and more. They don't work. And people don't deserve to be bullied because genetically they have a higher body point set weight that they should not have to spend their entire lives battling. So absolutely, I advocate for eating nutritious foods, moving often, and then you have to just love whatever comes as a result of that, right? Dieting has a high failure rate. It also leads dieting to long-term heart and health damage. So if we're really worried about things like heart disease and all that, dieting leads to that. 
So no one should be tasked with spending their entire lives battling their genetics, their metabolism, or their hormones. And it's not psychologically healthy because there is no physical health without psychological health. So we need to not worry about other people's health. We call that health policing. And that's never what it's about anyway. It's really about us having discomfort or dislike of fatness. And so I always tell people, worry about yourself. Do not worry about what other people are doing. People are allowed to choose to be unhealthy if they want. And we struggle to understand that. If someone wants to be unhealthy, they are allowed to choose that. Health does not have to be the goal of everyone's life. And how people care about their own bodies is private. That's my thoughts. I care about the mental health. But that's a good question. There you go. All righty, righty, righty. We got our love line. Oh, remember that DMs is always presented by Trojan condoms. It's a big, sexy world, and we want to explore with confidence, right? All right, Trojan, thank you guys. Now, pushing forward, our question of the night is up on our Loveline IG page, and that is dating dumping disasters. Is that what you would call it? Dating dumping disasters? Breakup struggles? Breakup issues? I like the whole double D there. Dating dumping disasters. All right. Presented by Trojan Condoms. It's a big sexy world. Explore with confidence. That's our DMs for the night. Thanks for hanging out with me. I will be back tomorrow night. You guys have an awesome, awesome, awesome night. See you tomorrow. Love line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q.